Good morning, church family. This is Pastor Dan, and pardon any of my exhaustion or tiredness that you might hear. My voice just got back from our uh, Hope Youth Winter Retreat. It was a blast. Thank you for your prayers um, and any sort of uh, support that you guys gave us. It really meant a lot, and I think it just had a big impact on our students. Um, And I think it was just an awesome weekend. It was just a really big blessing for me, and it was a big blessing for our students as well. Um, But we are going to be getting back into our Bible as Poetry series, and we're going to continue with Psalm chapter 2. So let's take a nice deep breath, and I'm just going to read through uh, Psalms 2 for us. It's 12 verses long, so stick stick with me here. Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now, as always, our cold read doesn't have any um, you know, thoughts in it. We're just reading it to hear what the word has to say and, and what God is trying to communicate to us through this passage. But we're going to go through it again a second time, and this second time we're going to try and be more aware of some of the tactics and skills that the author is using. So read it with me a second time, and we'll, we'll go a little bit slower this time. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. So, we can kind of already see some of that parallelism that we were talking about. Two stanzas here, um, each comprised of three verses that sort of are in conversation with one another. Verses one through three are very much uh, focused on the rebellion of outside nations. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? And then the next two verses really sort of communicate what and how um, nations outside of Israel are responding to God's rule. This is just sort of an idea of how uh, non-believers have always rejected God. Institutions of humanity have always turned away from God's rule and God's um, authority. And then you see the response in verses 4 through 6. It's kind of God's response back to that sort of an attitude, that sort of a um, perspective. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. So it's clear that God isn't uh, in any way thrilled by these sorts of um, rejective attitudes, these attitudes that are pushing back 
against God. These are, this is our first sort of parallel, this sort of first um, poetic conversation that we see before between these first two stanzas. Uh, and then we get this little break. It's this little piece of prose here in uh, chapter 7, verse A, which is just, I will pro- proclaim the Lord's decree. So we get this conversation, this sort of situation that we're familiar with, even though we, are, we don't live in, um, you know, 1000 BC in the Middle East. We're kind of familiar with the idea of people, individuals, and systems rejecting God. And we see God's anger at that. We see God's frustration at that. Um, we see that he's not really, like, scared by it uh, when, he, when we see the one enthroned in heaven laughs, right? He, God's not uh, worried necessarily about competing rulers. Uh, he's not challenged. Um, so we kind of see that conversation begin, and then we see this, this hinge uh, line. It's actually not poetry. It's just regular prose. And it says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. And we switch and we kind of get the response to that conversation. So we see the first two stanzas kind of create a conversation in and of themselves that we're familiar with. And then the second two stanzas, which are also two sets of three verses, are a uh, similar sort of response. How, how does God... Uh, respond to that conversation as a whole, not just his immediate response within the conversation, but what has he done outside of it? So let's pick up in uh, chapter or verse 7b. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. So as we mentioned in the first two stanzas, we hear about the rejection of the world and God's attitude towards that. Then we see that hinge verse, and now we have these two stanzas after that are talking about God's response. What is God doing to resolve this issue? And what he does is he brings us into the conversation. This whole um, psalm is a, a, a royal psalm. It's a coronation psalm. It's actually a psalm that's often referenced in the New Testament by Peter and John as well, and it's used to reference Jesus. But it's this idea that God is inviting us, specifically David in this passage, um, and then the New Testament authors will ascribe Jesus to this role as well. Uh, but he's inviting us into this kind of uh, role as emissaries. We're his sons in uh, relationship to the nations. We are the ones who are uh, doing battle, for lack of a better word. This is sort of the the context of this passage. that We talk a lot about breaking of chains and shattering uh enemies like pottery and having this rod of iron. There is a a conflict here. So let's just go back over that one more time. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. So he's giving this authority to David. He's giving this power to David. And Again, the New Testament authors, John and Peter, give this same kind of authority. They think this psalm is speaking of Jesus as well. And it's just this idea that we have this role, Jesus has this role, David has this role of working uh, with God in 
bringing his uh, light and his rule to other people, to the outside world. And then we see the second stanza is kind of a, this word is from David. This word isn't necessarily from God. I mean, it is from God because he's working through David, but it's kind of like David's response to the rest of the world. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. So God's response to a rebellious world is to instate a people who will reflect his rule on earth. And so our response to that responsibility should be to encourage and warn and direct those who are outside of his rule, who haven't accepted his rule, to come and be a part. We see that uh, this instruction that David gives is to other kings. It's to those rebellious kings mentioned before. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned. You rulers of the earth, serve the Lord. That's God. That's Yahweh. It's the same word, Yahweh. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. So David is very much uh, encouraging, inviting, warning these other nations, these rebellious nations to follow God. And even at the end, we see a very, um, I think we often think it's uncharacteristic of the Old Testament, uh, this sort of widespread invitation because it is often a very ethnocentric book and I think that's a lot of the perception that um, some of the Jews in Jesus' day had as well. But at the very end of this passage, uh, it writes, Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. It's clear that God's response to a rebellious world is people and um, uh believers, followers of God who are willing to kind of like communicate that rule to other people, to be an example, but also to encourage others into that rule, into that kingdom, into being followers and servants of the Lord Almighty. I'm just going to, just like I did last week, I'm going to give you just a few brief moments here to pause and take some time to think about how this passage makes you feel, and then I'll hop back on and give my own thoughts. This passage is weird to me because at first it is very um, violent and aggressive, it seems like. We have this conflict in the first two passages. We see God laughing at rebellious people and being angry and full of wrath. And his response is to equip a people to have this power over their enemies, to have this rod of iron. Um, And even at the end, the invitation that David gives to outside nations and outside rulers is one of warning. It's one that reflects the, the, the danger of not following God. And I think a lot of times when I read this passage, I struggle to see the invitation within it. It's hard for me to get past that aggressive language. Um, but what this passage really makes me feel today, it reminds me how serious this rebellion is. Um, I think in this culture of patience that we're trying to be in this effort that we're trying to have to um, just love, 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 love. I think a lot of times we miss the seriousness of rebellion. We miss the seriousness of the world's rejection of God. It is a war for, it is warfare. And 
Jesus' response to that is radical and extreme. And that isn't to say that we're supposed to be violent. That's not my point. But I think a lot of times we miss the seriousness of our calling to share God's rule with other people. It was so serious for God that he went and sent his son to die. And that was the way that Jesus stepped in to that calling. And I think a lot of times we miss that opportunity. We miss our chance to share God's rule because we miss how serious this is. But that's my takeaway for this. I think that takeaway is absolutely seen through the lens of a 21st century Christian who lives in the Northeast of the United States. Um, So I would love to hear your guys' takeaway. If you want to email me at my uh, at my church email or or however you want to get in touch with me. I think that walking through these passages and just sort of responding to them, uh, I think is going to help us better get close to what God is trying to communicate and have that better relationship with him. I want to thank you guys for joining me and I hope you have a great rest of your day.